Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast. I'm so happy that you downloaded this episode and you're listening to my voice. I hope that what I talk about today is going to be a huge help to you and your tennis game. Today, we're going to be discussing if a better tennis player makes a better tennis coach. And I decided to use this as a topic in response mainly to a really, really common misperception in the world of tennis and many other sports and disciplines as well. And that is the general belief that if somebody played pro tennis or they played high-level college tennis, then they must be a great coach. And when you go to your local club, country club or private club, tennis club, whatever kind of club it is, those are generally the instructors that are the most popular, the ones that have that reputation as being that high performer. And so there's kind of a lot of pride in the fact that, oh, my my tennis coach played on the pro tour and played whatever at Wimbledon or whatever, whatever it is. And so there, there seems to be this automatic belief that if they did it, if they executed at a really high level, then they must be able, they, they must be great at coaching or teaching as well, and they're going to help you improve faster. Now, this, this topic I originally picked out in response to a comment that was left below one of our YouTube videos several months ago. And in this video, myself and Ira another one of the pros here at Essential Tennis, were demonstrating a ground stroke drill and we were rallying back and forth and we were kind of changing direction with our forehand and backhand ground stroke. And uh, somebody left a comment saying, Ian, I don't want to come across as disrespectful, which, by the way, almost always means what I'm about to say is going to be disrespectful. Uh, He continues, but your strokes and your movements are lacking. This is a simple drill that 12-year-olds in most clubs where I am from can perform. By the looks of it, you have a hard time redirecting and using your left hand while performing your forehand. Do you actively coach kids? Now, that last question in particular really kind of got me fired up a little bit because he's insinuating with that question, you know, Ian, you're not really doing this right. You could be doing this better are you qualified to to teach, you know, junior players or high-level juniors or whatever it is that he means? He's wondering, so Ian, it doesn't look like you're doing this great. Do you teach? Do you actually go, do you actually coach kids? Now, I want to talk today about that connection between execution, being able to do something, and being able to teach something. And we're going to break this up into a couple different sections We're going to talk about two different concepts first. The first one, which I'll go through relatively quickly because I I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, is the four phases or stages of learning. This was developed by a psychologist in the 1970s, and he broke up the four phases of learning a skill or a discipline like tennis or piano or jujitsu or driving a car or whatever into four different stages. Stage one is unconscious incompetence. That means that you have no knowledge 
about whatever the discipline is, and you're also no good at doing it, unconsciously incompetent. Second stage is consciously incompetent. So now maybe you've watched a video or you've read a book or you've taken a lesson, you got some some advice, you've got some knowledge into your brain, but you haven't done it enough times to actually be good at it yet. So consciously incompetent. Stage three, consciously competent. So now, again, you have that knowledge, you have that awareness. Unconsciously incompetent is basically you don't know what you don't know. So not only do you have no knowledge, but you don't have any knowledge that you don't have any knowledge. Sorry if that, if that uh, is too uh, circular for you. But um, you don't know what you don't know. And then you know something, but you can't perform it. And now stage three is you know something and you can also perform it, but you have to be aware of it. You have to be conscious of it while you do it. You haven't mastered it yet. And the final phase or stage is unconsciously competent. So you don't even have to be aware of the skill anymore, of doing the skill. You don't have to actually keep track of what you're doing and think your way through it. You can do it unconsciously. You can do it without even thinking. It's a habit. It's now a trained thing that is second nature. It's just your knee-jerk response. Now, tennis is not a holistic thing. In other words, the skill of tennis as a whole doesn't move through those four phases. Instead, it's one little sub-skill, sub-little sub uh ability to execute at a time that is learned that makes up your whole tennis game. And there's hundreds and thousands of those little skills that all need to be layered one upon the next upon the next over thousands and thousands of hours of purposeful practice and training. So a good coach will take you, if you're a beginner, a a novice, from the very most fundamental important things as your base teach you those skills, and then as those become unconsciously competent, will lead you to more intermediate skills and then more advanced skills. And this is a long process that includes many, many, many different skills that are all layered on top of each other. Now, after years and years and years of this process, what you learned and internalized and made habit in the beginning becomes a very, very distant memory. The whole point is to forget it. The whole point is for each of those skills to no longer be conscious. And so you literally forget what you learn and then focus on the next thing. And then you forget that and then you focus on the next thing. You learn that, master it, becomes automatic, you forget it and you focus on the next thing. So this this process continues. Now, after... 10, 15, 20 years of working on your own ability to execute those early skills, there's no, there's no ability to recall what it was like to not know how to, how to be able to do that anymore. And this is what's called the curse of knowledge. It's the second concept we're going to talk about. And the curse of knowledge is something that educators are, meaning education teachers uh, are very familiar with. And basically, it means that you don't have the ability to relate to a student because your performance, your ability to execute, so far eclipses their own. 
Now, I found a great article on Forbes.com about this, and I'm going to read just the first couple sentences of that. This author wrote and said, Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw famously wrote, He who can does, he who cannot teaches. You've probably heard that before. Usually used somewhat in a somewhat derogatory way towards teachers. Uh, he continues and says, But it's often more accurate to say, He who can do can't teach. He who can do can't teach. And then uh, next sentence. <clears throat> it's natural for novices to seek out experts for guidance. That's why many organizations adopt formal mentorship and training pro- programs. Unfortunately, though, experts frequently make lousy teachers. Experts are sometimes so steeped in expertise that they don't remember what it was like to be a newbie in terms of both how much they knew and how it felt back then. The memory gap leads to an empathy gap. Now, not only does that memory gap lead to, and I like how he used the phrase memory gap, you literally forget. The whole point is when you master something, you for, you internalize it, you forget it, it becomes unconscious, it's a habit, and then you move on to mastering whatever the next skill is. So yeah, there's that memory gap that leads to an empathy gap, and it also leads to a process gap. What I mean by that is teaching is in itself a learned skill. Learning how to be a great teacher is something that takes time and experience and repetition. It's something very complex and nuanced. And especially when it comes to trying to transfer the ability to execute a skill that is as layered and complicated as tennis. Now, I found uh, one other article and... I'm going to try to link to these. Uh, if you go to EssentialTennis.com and and go to the post for this episode, you'll see these links. There's another article on Edutopia.org. And they, in that article, they made many suggestions for overcoming the curse of knowledge. And those suggestions included using multi-sensory approaches, such as explaining orally what a skill should look like or feel like, using kinesthetic, moving a student through emotion correctly so they can feel it, visually demonstrating, also using emotion, using narratives or stories, using analogies, all different approaches to maybe the exact same little skill, but different ways of coming, uh, different ways of going about it so that different people can understand because every person learns a little bit differently. So at the end of the day, you have to learn how to teach. Just because you know how to do it does not mean that you have the skills or the abilities to then guide somebody else through the experience of also knowing how to execute that same skill. You have to be able to empathize and relate to each of your students. Know what it's like to be stuck. Know what it's like to not get it. You have to have multiple ways of teaching every one of those little layered skills. Because as I said a second ago, every student learns a little bit differently and has a little bit different way that they like things to be explained or demonstrated or shown to them. And you have to have a full perspective on the collection of skills needed. This is quite possibly the, the biggest one. You have to know where your student falls in with all of those different little layers of skill for each and every stroke so that you can then guide them to the next 
logical progression of what they should be doing or focusing on next. Which which of those hundreds or thousands of little layered skills, which one do they need to work on next on their forehand and on their backhand and on their serve and on their drop shot and whatever skill it is that they're trying to master as part of their game to reach the next level. So being a world-class performer on top of those skills needed to be a good teacher is a huge asset. Please don't misunderstand me. What, I, what I'm not trying to say today in this episode is that everybody who was a great tennis player is a bad teacher. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. Being a world-class performer and also cultivating those skills of being a great teacher is a huge thing. It's a huge asset. But being a world-class athlete or a performer alone doesn't give anybody any of those tools that are required to be a good teacher. They only come by being a student of teaching. So at the end of the day, you want to look for a coach who's a student of teaching, not necessarily the coach with the high, that had the highest ranking or highest level of playing experience, or even necessarily plays at the highest level right now. Those are all, as I said, great things. They're good things, and, and those experiences can be taken and used as big assets when communicating with the students, but only if that player has developed themselves as a teacher. So for, for myself personally, I've had kind of very, uh, very distinct phases to my tennis career. From age 11 to 21, I was a student of playing, and my focus was 100% on getting my own personal performance as high as possible because I loved tennis and I wanted to play it as competitively as possible at the highest level possible. There were you know, periods of time as a junior that I dreamed of being a professional player. So I was extremely, extremely driven. I really, really wanted to play high school or college tennis, which I did. But then once I graduated college, my focus shifted completely away from myself and onto my students. I started teaching full-time. And I taught through all through uh, a lot of high school and all of college as well. But my primary focus was still on myself. From age 21 to now currently 35, I've been a student of how to teach, how to coach, what process to follow, you know, what is most effective with different students, what actually works, what does not work, what phrases and descriptions are accurate and which are, are not accurate, which ways of explaining things resonate with people and which ones do not. So in response to that comment that somebody left on YouTube, I'm, I'm very, very, very self-aware of all the flaws in my game, that there's a lot of them. I'm at my best, a 5-0 player. And so I know what those flaws are. And what's really frustrating for me is I also know how to fix them. But that isn't my priority right now. And frankly, I'm, I don't really care much at this moment in time about fixing the flaws in my game. My priority right now is the games of my students. That is my focus. And that is what I'm trying to improve myself at the most is my own skill and ability to help my students effectively improve and play the game at a higher level. 
who, I mean, who knows, maybe someday in the future, I'll start focusing on my own game again. But for right now, it's not at all something that I'm concerned about. And honestly, it's, it's important to be aware of this because there's a lot of coaches out there who tout their playing experience and love to show off their playing ability on the court during lessons. And they'll kind of wow their students with coming up with an incredible shot here and there. But just because they're able to do that with their ability to execute with a tennis racket does not mean that they can effectively show you the path to be able to do it as well. So hopefully this is helpful to you. Just wanted to give you a little bit of perspective on this topic. Would love to hear your thoughts, maybe uh, what your experiences have been related to this. Hopefully this helps you choose a good teacher in the future. It's really a priceless thing when you can find a teacher or coach who is as passionate about you improving as you are and has spent a career trying to make themselves the most effective teacher possible. It's not easy to find somebody like that, but they're out there. That's what you should be looking for, not necessarily somebody who had the highest ranking possible. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.